Hello and welcome back to Hayden's Entertainment Hour. And yes, today we're going to be going over the top 10 best and worst movies that I saw in 2021. If you've listened to the podcast for 2019 best and worst that I did with Brian and the best and worst podcast I did in 2020 of last year, then you know what you're getting in this podcast. But I do want to kind of do something different this year. I want to kind of acknowledge some other things that I saw that honestly I feel like needs to get recognized a little bit too. And I feel like every time I do this end of the year thing, I want to add a new category or maybe something new that spices it up a little bit because honestly I don't really want you guys to suffer with just going oh it's another top 10 best and worst list cool I can go watch a thousand YouTube videos that do the same thing and I won't be offended if that's your thought going into this but yeah I do this every year just simply because I like to reflect on the art that I've seen and also the garbage that I've seen and I think this year overall was really what got me back into my love of movies I went to the movie theater a lot even though yes I know the coronavirus is still around and now the Omicron variant is coming out but I feel safe and healthy to go back to theaters right now even if there are some people out there that are kind of being stupid and making it harder for people to go back and enjoy their love of cinema but for overall I would say I was really satisfied that I was able to mostly go back to theaters feeling safe this year versus 2020. Yeah well I did go to theaters in 2020 me and Brian just went to our local theater that nobody was going to because you know there was a pandemic going on so like movies were five bucks we could sit in an empty theater and just watch the movie leave and then that was pretty much it but this year it really felt like it was nice to get people back in the theater and see that theater experience and stuff and getting to experience movies like No Way Home with a crowd of people is certainly something that I missed. Just overall, I really loved this year and it got me back into loving movies a lot more because I won't lie, in 2020 with all of the crap that had been coming out, I was just kind of like, do I really like movies? Do I really want to keep doing this? But thankfully, I think my love and appreciation for film has come back. Now, that's not to say that I'm like some boomer that's like, oh, streaming killed my love of film, because that's certainly not true. A lot of my favorite movies from last year in 2020 were streaming movies. I'm just saying there are there is a chunk of me that really does enjoy going to movie theaters and experiencing it on the big screen. But I will always champion streaming service movies because honestly, there are some out there that are real gems. Now anyways, I digress, I want to talk about what I thought of 2021 for film overall. I was really satisfied with this year. I think that this year there were a lot of ups, there were a lot of downs, we saw the box office make a small resurgence, I mean it was nice to see a movie like Fast 9, even if I hated the movie overall, make a lot of money because you know we hadn't seen something like that because there weren't really any big blockbusters that made a ton of money in 2020. I also thought it was really nice that we got to see at the end of the year a Marvel movie bring people back together in theaters because honestly that was something that even though I hated it in 2019, I did kind of miss here a little bit. I also thought it was nice that a lot of directors were able to put their theater or their movies back in the movie theater for the big screen because it was nice seeing an Edgar Wright movie on the big screen. It was nice seeing a Paul Thomas Anderson movie on the big screen. It was nice seeing a Guillermo del Toro movie on the big screen. It just really felt like there was a lot of things to appreciate this year filmmaking wise and there were a lot of great directors that I got to explore and also see for the first time on the big screen. Now I will say overall I do understand why some some people probably didn't go to movie theaters at all this year or didn't feel safe enough because yes, the coronavirus is still out there and I definitely get everybody's concerned. If you don't feel like you want to go to a movie theater and risk your own health, then I completely understand that. Wait for these to come out on VOD. But I'm hoping as we get into 2022, things are going to get a lot better. Hopefully the coronavirus goes away, fingers crossed, and we can all go back and enjoy movie theaters if we want. But I also do acknowledge streaming out there is something that is pretty valuable right now in these times too. But I don't want to ramble on. I'm going to get into 
into my top 10 best of list here. And basically going into this, I'm going to not only talk about the top 10, obviously, but I'm also going to be giving out some tier lists of like other movies and categories and stuff. And also talking about some underrated things that I watched I'd recommend you guys would. So let's transition into the top 10 best of list. Welcome to the top 10 best movies that I saw in 2021. Disclaimer, this list is simply my personal opinion. If there is a movie you feel like should have been added to the list, or you feel like I was wrong about a ranking of a movie in this list, tough luck, it's not your list. The film is subjective. Please go make your own list. Please go form your own opinion. I would love to see your guys' opinions on what you thought the top 10 best and worst movies were in 2021. Don't get mad at me simply because there was a movie on here that you agree to disagree with. But overall, like I said, before I get into the actual top 10 best movies that I saw in 2021, I want to go over some underrated stuff that I saw in 2021 that I hope some people would check out. Like first off, Bo Burnham's Inside is one of the funniest comedy specials I've seen this year. Yes, I also know this is a highly controversial thing to not consider it a movie. I personally do not consider it a movie, but I do understand why some people do see it as a movie. I really like this comedy special, and I think it's literally the most 2020 feeling thing that you could. Like, Bo really encompasses what a lot of us felt being locked up inside for the whole year of 2020, and I think just overall the music, the comedy bits, just everything about Bo in this special works so well, and I would highly recommend that people go and check it out. Another thing that I watched this year that I thought was highly underrated was the Tiger Woods documentary on HBO Max. Even if you don't like Tiger Woods or you don't like sports in general, I would check this one out simply because it's really interesting to look at how this man's career simply went into the downfall, downward spiral that it was. Because while Tiger Woods to many may just sound like, oh, it's that golfer guy, no, honestly, he is a sports icon and what he has done for the world is pretty incredible. But just hearing about what kind of background he grew up with and seeing what happened to him once he finally got a taste of wealth and fortune is just really interesting and fascinating to also watch unfold. Another sports thing that I'll plug that's more recent is the All Madden documentary that came out. If you're somebody that doesn't really know who John Madden is, I would still recommend checking this out simply because if you know about the Madden video games, this documentary does go over how he built that video game empire, but it will also give you an insight into why he was considered one of the best broadcasters of all time and also one of the greatest coaches in the NFL. And I would simply check it out if you're a sports lover and at the same time if you're interested in the man of John Madden or if you just like to learn more about him. Check it out. I think it's a really good documentary. I also watched a John Wayne Gacy documentary that was on Peacock that I thought was kind of good. Now I will say it does kind of fizzle out towards, I think it was the third and fourth episode, but for the most part, I kind of had a mostly satisfying time watching it. And if you're into those serial killer documentaries, well, I would recommend checking this one out, but I will admit it does get boring as it goes along. But still overall, I would say I would check this one out if you're into stuff like that. But anyways, that kind of concludes some of the underrated stuff that I just wanted to point out for the year. We can now get into the different tier lists that I have before getting into the top 10 best movies that I saw in 2021. So I did this last year a little bit if you listened to my 2021 podcast, and I also did it with Brian in 2019. I have a bronze, I have a silver tier, and I have a gold tier for movies. Bronze movies are movies that got a 6 out of 10, the silver tier is movies that got a 7 out of 10, and the gold tier is usually an 8 out of 10 or above, and that's normally what's in my top 10 best of list. So let's go over some movies that are in my bronze tier. Like I said, these are the 6 out of 10 movies that were at least somewhat memorable enough to where I could put them in their own tier and put them on an end of the year list. So here's the bronze tier. Saint Maud, Raya and the Last Dragon, Wrath of Man, Dream Horse, In the Heights, Luca, The Protégé, 
Free Guy, The Many Saints of Newark, King Richard, and House of Gucci. The Silver Tier, which is the 7 out of 10, is Godzilla vs. King Kong, A Quiet Place Part 2, Shang-Chi, Last Night in Soho, Belfast, Encanto, and The Power of Dog. Now the gold tier, which is where we finally get into the top 10 best movies that I saw in 2021. So what's number 10, you might be thinking? Number 10 is No Time to Die. So I gotta admit, when I first heard about this Bond film manifesting, I really thought it was gonna be a disaster because Daniel Craig has pleaded how much he's hated working with the character after Spectre. He talked about how he didn't want to come back. Then they had to pay him a gross amount of money to come back into the character one last time. Then it sounded like there was some production hell that was going on with this movie. It sounded like they reshot parts of it. It sounded like the whole Amazon buyout was kind of screwing over the movie's release. It sounded like they were so nervous about losing profit on this movie, they were gonna try to sell it to Netflix at one point and then Netflix didn't want to pay the outrageous $600 they were, or $600 million they were demanding for it. Just overall, I wasn't really sure if this movie was going to work out simply because it sounded like the production behind it wasn't going to be great. But boy was I wrong. This was a great and satisfying conclusion to James Bond as a character and probably one of the better Bond films that's come out. One thing that's always annoyed me about James Bond as a character is that in most of the iterations of the character, he doesn't really have a conclusion. His story just kind of ends after a mission and then they transition into the next James Bond. So I'm really glad that Daniel Craig's James Bond actually got a cohesive narrative finish to his character. It actually felt like it was building up to the end of his character, whereas the other ones were like cogs in a machine just replacing each other. I think there's a lot of greatness in this movie. First off, Daniel Craig is obviously wonderful in this movie as James Bond, and it's probably his career best performance with the character. I think Leia Seydoux is also really great in this movie as Madeline Swan, and I love the chemistry she has with Daniel Craig. I thought Rami Malek was pretty good for the most part as a villain. Like I said in my original review I did with Charles, I felt like there were issues with his character a little bit. I also thought that there were some side characters in this that also did really good. Most of the supporting cast was great in this. The action and cinematography of this thing is just breathtaking. It will blow you away when you see it. I was so glad that I got it to see it on the big screen twice because honestly I was just really impressed with how this movie looked and I think overall it's just a really satisfying Bond film and all of the elements that make it come together. You'll clap, you'll probably cheer a little bit, and you'll probably cry at the ending because I know some people that did cry at how much this ending hit them at home. I would definitely recommend checking out No Time to Die. It's my 10th favorite movie of the year. So my ninth favorite movie is Spider-Man No Way Home. A lot of people probably weren't expecting it to be on this list because, eh, you know, it's a Marvel movie. But I gotta admit, when Marvel actually does something right, I gotta acknowledge it. Spider-Man No Way Home might be a nostalgia fest, but I think it's a really well-written nostalgia fest. One complaint that I've always kind of had about Spider-Man a little bit in the MCU is it did feel sometimes like, yes, the cliche, he feels like Iron Boy Jr. Because he didn't really feel like Spider-Man in the sense of he didn't really build his own homemade stuff. It felt like he was relying on Stark technology. There wasn't really any weight and consequences to his character, and Far From Home kind of exemplified a lot of those issues, and a lot of people were very turned off by a Spider-Man because of that movie. But I will say Spider-Man No Way Home really does a good job of making Peter Parker feel like the Peter Parker we've known. Tom Holland's Spider-Man has actually grown a lot more in this movie, and I love how his Spider-Man doesn't want to see these villains die and he simply wants to save them. I also love at the same time how Peter is trying to make sure everybody in his life stays safe, but he doesn't realize that Spider-Man's identity being revealed is going to 
cost him down the road. I think that there's a lot of great things in this movie. First off, I think the writing is really tight with the villains. They did a really good job writing them back into this plot. I think they handled the multiversal part for the most part really well. I think Doctor Strange's addition in this movie didn't feel like it was pointless or like he could have been easily or that he was easily manipulated in any way. They found a smart way writing him into the plot and writing him out in certain sections. I think Willem Dafoe, Alfred Melania, Jamie Foxx, just everybody that reprised their roles in this do a great job. And yes, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, the titular characters of Toby and Andrew that show up are terrific in this as well, and they really do great with the chemistry in this. I think the ending of this thing is really powerful too in a sense of how he really does now feel like Spider-Man in which he's lost everything. And I think that it's awesome that this movie is getting so much praise and love by MCU fans because I know that a lot of MCU fans weren't satisfied with the other three movies that came out this year, but I would say for the most part, it's good that Marvel is still making movies like this that have powerful writing behind it and really do have a really good conclusive ending to characters and stuff like this. Check it out if you're a big Spider-Man fan, if you love Defoe, if you love Holland, just if you love the entire movies or the entire MCU, I would recommend checking it out. Just overall really good MCU movie, I would say. Now, number eight is The Suicide Squad. I mean, come on. I literally said it would be very hard to beat this movie out because it just simply was my favorite superhero -y movie that came out this year. The Suicide Squad really had a lot of things riding on it. James Gunn, it had a pretty big supporting cast behind it, it sounded like it was pretty tightly written, and best of all, there was no Jared Leto Joker with a damage written on his forehead to be shown on screen. One thing that I gotta say about this movie that really impressed me is that James Gunn literally had full control in this and you can tell. DC just gave him the keys to the kingdom and he was able to write probably one of the most moving and funniest comedies that I have seen in a superhero movie in quite some time. I think he does a lot of great character stuff with Bloodsport. I think that there's a lot of great things that he does growing each of these characters like Ratcatcher, Peacemaker, and yes, even King Shark. I think there's a lot of great humor in the movie. Obviously when you let James Gunn write the humor in most of his movies, it's quite funny. The whole inversion sequence on the beach at the beginning, King Shark going around munching people and stuff. I like how there's the whole battle between Bloodsport and John Cena at one point. Just there are so many funny moments in this movie I could just list off and I think it works so well. The action's also really bloody and gory and feels comic booky, and I think that's something that really benefits this movie in a way is just how well it feels. I mean everything about this movie just feels so well paced, so well choreographed. Just everything about it feels so tightly written. Yeah I did say I think the Harley Quinn subplot is the weakest part of this whole thing and if you cut it out it really doesn't change much but overall besides that complaint I would say this is still one of the most strongest comic book movies I've seen in a while and I would definitely check it out if you're a big James Gunn guy. Honestly one thing that I like about this is the fact that it has a rewatchability to it because some DCU movies don't really have that. Like I've thought about Shazam for years I haven't seen it since theaters obviously and then I think I watched it once on DVD at home and I haven't really had an urge to rewatch it even though I gave that movie a 7 out of 10, but with this movie, I can see myself rewatching it over and over again just simply because it's a really tightly written movie, and James Gunn really did a great job. And also, come on, man, Star of the Conqueror? How are you not gonna love a movie for having Star of the Conqueror? And also, gotta say, I love that the thinker is in this. A lot of people hated the thinker in this, but I was big on it. I really thought that this character worked uh, super well. But overall, I would definitely recommend The Suicide Squad. It is a great movie and probably one that will move you a lot more than you think and also make you laugh a bunch. My number seven favorite movie of the year was The Last Duel. Yes, I know Ridley Scott is controversial right now because obviously he made some comments that are just stupid. 
But overall, I gotta say, The Last Duel was probably one of the better movies that I've seen out of Ridley Scott in quite some time. Like I said, the last thing I really liked him directing was The Martian, which was clear back in 2015. And I gotta say, one thing about this movie that I really liked overall is just how well it's made from a filmmaking standpoint. I really do like these medieval dramas. I know they're kind of on their way out now, like Hollywood isn't making these because they're like, eh, it's just not really as hard-hitting as it used to be. But I think Ridley Scott really crafts a very good hard-hitting uh, movie that really kind of handled the whole source material it was going for well. I know some people say that it didn't handle the rape angle as well as it did. I think that it's mostly written for the most part, but I will acknowledge the scene that does happen does kind of feel like it goes on a bit longer than it should, and that Ridley Scott really should have thought in the editing room about cutting it down a bit more. But I think overall what I like about this movie is how it has three characters. Two of them are unreliable, and one of them is telling the whole truth and nothing but it. I do love how the movie does give us the big duel at the ending that it promises but I love before it gets to that we have a slow two-hour ride of learning about these characters and their sleazy ambitions and backgrounds. I also love how Jodie Cromer is probably giving one of the best performances this year and I hope that the Academy acknowledges it and gives her the nomination that she deserves. I think like I said Adam Driver's great in this. I think Matt Damon's great in this. I think the only piece in this I didn't really like was Ben Affleck because it felt like he just walked onto set with a blonde wig and said film me I'm done as Batman but for the most part I think Ridley Scott crafted a movie that was really well written it looks great it's shot great the action's great just so many things about it are great in this movie if you like these medieval dramas i would definitely recommend checking this one out because i had a great time watching it by myself in a theater my sixth favorite movie of the year was the french dispatch so when I saw The French Dispatch for the first time, I will admit, I just thought that it was good. I didn't really think it was as great as most Wes Anderson works. Then Fahrenheit went and beat me up in a back alley, and I went and saw it again, and I went... Oh yeah, I do get it a little bit more this time, but no, joking aside with that, I actually did see it a second time and appreciated it a lot more. I think what I need to do a lot more in the future is I need to watch some of my favorite director's movies a second time. Like, I saw Soho twice this year, obviously, and it took me the second time around to solidify my opinion on it, because the first time I was very shaky on it, and then obviously I've seen Licorice Pizza twice now, and I've kind of solidified my opinion on it and stuff, and I also saw The Suicide Squad twice, I've seen No Way Home twice, I've seen No Time to Die twice, I've seen most of the movies on this list and I don't want to spoil the rest of it going forward mostly twice now to solidify my opinion but I feel like that's something I got to do because in the long run I could miss out on appreciating movies like this in the future but anyways I'm rambling but the French Dispatch overall what do I think of this movie well it's a great Wes Anderson ride if you know what you're getting into with Wes Anderson it's that great dry humor it's the great color palettes it's the awesome cinematography it's the wonderful characters it's just everything that you love about Wes Anderson wrapped up into a movie and what I love about this is it is simply his love letter to journalism. It's all about Bill Murray's company and about how he died one day and how they're publishing his obituary with all the stories that his writers have written for it. One thing that I love about it is each story feels very unique to the character themselves and I love how even the beginning one with Owen Wilson that's very brief and short feels like a vehicle that sets up the world that we're going to spend in. I love the Benicio Del Toro one. I think that it's a really funny story and I love the payoff of how it ends. I like the Timothy Chalamet one for the most part but I will admit it does draw rag in some areas, but I think it's really powerful and effective in the love story that it tells, and I think the Jeffrey Wright one with the chef and everything that happened about the police chief's son getting kidnapped is probably my favorite story of the entire thing, and I think it's 
the most tightly and well-written one in the entire movie, and I think that the ending, while it's not as powerful as maybe what Wes was anticipating, I do think is still a pretty mostly satisfying ending considering what we got overall with the movie's narrative. I think one thing that I have to say about this is that Wes Anderson movies are definitely for a certain type of audience. I know a lot of people when I saw it the second time around that walked out or simply were bored with it and got on their phone just simply because they didn't really get the movie. And I would just simply say out there, if you're somebody that doesn't really like Wes Anderson's work, I would not recommend going to see it because you're just going to ruin the experience for people like us that really love Wes Anderson's work. But overall, The French Dispatch is a great movie. I would dec definitely recommend checking it out if you're a big Wes Anderson person or if you want to get more into his work. So my fifth favorite movie of the year was Licorice Pizza, which is also the new Paul Thomas Anderson movie for the people that are confused why it was called that. Now, I will say it's obviously a slang term for 70s vinyl records. I don't think a lot of people caught on that the first time around. Like they just read the title and went, what kind of disgusting monster puts licorice on pizza? That just sounds terrible. But no, overall, once you do Google what it does mean or you look more into the movie's themes and why the title is what it is, you do appreciate how Paul Thomas Anderson uh, titles his movies going forward like some people watch punch drunk love and they're like what did it have to do with any of that but then you realize like there's a symbolic reasoning to why the movie is called that obviously there will be blood yeah you understand why that movie got its title don't you but overall one thing that i think i love about paul thomas anderson is that he's so good at writing uh, characters and dialogue that feels more natural than most other directors working out there while wes does write his characters obviously to feel like characters that fit his universe one thing that i appreciate about Paul Thomas Anderson is how natural feeling his dialogue is and I also love how he pairs it with gorgeous shots that leave you there looking at the screen just simply going wow this is one of the prettiest movies that I've seen this year because this movie is pretty. I think our two leads in the movie are honestly doing really good for first time actress and actor. For the most part though I will say I was a little kind of grossed out with the age gap between them which is something that a lot of people have been pointing out is how not okay the age gap between the two of them is and I'm just kind of sitting here going yeah, I get that. It is a little creepy when you think about it, but you don't try to think about it too much going into this movie because you do want to watch it for the narrative and everything that plays out in it. Because I will say these slice of life movies that are being made more and more now are kind of my bag. I like that it's set in a 70s backdrop of Encino. I like how these two characters that are slowly growing into their adulthood both realize that they kind of need each other a little bit. And I do like how the narrative and all of the subplots around it do kind of lead towards that towards the ending. Even if I do feel like the ending of this thing doesn't really stick the ending that it should one thing that kind of frustrates me about paul thomas anderson is is that he says he writes the characters wherever they'll go but then he always tries to put like a bow on everything and it bothers me sometimes but overall i wouldn't say the ending's bad enough to where obviously it made me super mad but i feel like the conclusion's just a bit rushed in my opinion but that shouldn't distract from the fact that this is still one of the best movies this year cinematography acting obviously everything that you'd expect in a paul thomas anderson movie it's right here go check it out because i'm not sure how much longer it's going to be in theaters or wait till it's on vod because sadly a lot of these great indie films are going straight to vod my fourth favorite movie of the year was nightmare alley so Guillermo del Toro movies usually never do me wrong, 
While I wasn't the biggest fan of The Shape of Water, I really do appreciate that movie for what it is. One thing that I think kind of bothered me about Guillermo del Toro for the longest time is that the conclusions in his movies didn't really feel as satisfying as maybe what he was going for. I'm somebody that thinks the third act of The Shape of Water is a little bit rushed and I think could have been written a lot better. I think Pan's Labyrinth has a mostly great ending, but I feel like, again, it's rushed kind of towards once it gets to the finish line. I mean, even I would say Pacific Rim has a very rushed third act. I don't know. It just felt like for the longest time I was growing more and more disappointed because I was like, man, these movies are so solid it all the way through and then it can't stick the landing well this time around it's the opposite he really stuck the landing here it's just the beginning of the movie is really slow and hard to get into but for the most part i will say this is a really really good movie i do like that the adaptation of this has actually been praised by most people that seen the original movie and also read the book well i'm somebody that hasn't watched the original movie yet simply because i just now got the criterion collection obviously for christmas i will try to watch it now and see if i can compare the two and obviously appreciate this adaptation guillermo did a lot more i really love this movie simply because it's all about watching a character that you love to hate like howie bling from Uncut Gems. Uh, tried to basically get his life together, but he keeps messing up and doing things that obviously are in the wrong, but you don't want to see this character fail. And I like that this character is being brought back now and Guillermo del Toro is trying his hand at a character like this, because honestly, Bradley Cooper's character is really deep and complex and there is a lot of great things to love about him. I also love how he slowly believes in his own lies throughout the movie and you simply see how these lies are affecting him and how it leads to the third act that, like I said, really, really does land. I think Kate Blanchett in this movie is also really good and I hope that she gets an Oscar nomination because honestly she does a fantastic job in this movie playing the manipulative psychologist. Everybody else that's usually in the supporting cast of Guillermo movies do great in this also. Even though Doug Jones is nowhere to be seen in this you can definitely feel like his presence is there in some scenes and yes Willem Dafoe is a national treasure in this go figure. But overall, I would say Nightmare Alley is one of those movies that's really tightly well written, and it's one of those movies that, like I said, has a protagonist that you love and hate at the same time, kind of like Uncut Gems. I found myself comparing this movie to Uncut Gems a lot in a weird way, not because the two movies are similar at all, but just the way the narrative is written around these characters felt really similar to something like Uncut Gems. But overall, I would say this is still one of the better movies that I've seen this year, and it was a movie that made me leave the movie theater feeling devastated with my buddy. I I mean, seriously, I left that movie theater feeling just down after seeing it. So I would recommend it simply if you want to see another great Guillermo del Toro movie. And that's all I'm going to say moving forward. So my third favorite movie was Nobody. Okay, Brian, you can lose your mind now. Yes, it's that high. So I remember seeing this movie with Brian actually for the first time in theaters. We both went to our local cinema and saw it and came out going... Yeah, I would say that's probably the best movie we've seen this year so far. Now, obviously, that's changed a little bit over time because it's not in my top two, obviously. But overall, Nobody was one of those movies that I kept re-watching several times over the course of this year simply because it is a blast from start to finish. Bob Odenkirk made the comedic John Wick that I never thought that I needed. And that's one thing that I think I love about this movie is that Bob Odenkirk is having so much fun making this thing. He literally practiced doing his own stunts for the movie to make sure that he could actually do his own stunts for this movie. 
that's incredible. The action in this is tight, it's bloody and gory, it feels like John Wick in some areas, but it's really comedic overall. There are great moments in this movie that happens. There's a scene on a bus, there's a scene in his house, there's a scene at the ending where him and his brother and his half brother and Christopher Lloyd team up and they all go crazy on all of these Russian guys. Just, you gotta see this movie guys if you love these action-packed thrill rides because that's what Bob Odenkirk gives us, a funny action-packed thrill ride that I never thought we needed. Sure, the comparison's gonna be John Wick. It's written by the same people that made John Wick and it even feels a lot like a car copy of John Wick. If you can put that aside though, this is still one of the better movies that's come out this year, and just simply see it because Bob Odenkirk is having a blast in this thing. My number two favorite movie of the year was My Arrakis. My Dune. Yes, Dune was epic. It was pretty amazing, I would say overall. It was one of those movies that I went into going, okay, I feel like this is going to be a bit overrated, and then I came out going, Oh no, no it wasn't at all. I think this is probably one of the best adaptations, I would say, of a book overall, and I would also say just in general of a movie, because while David Lynch's Dune is just kind of, you know, whatever, like it's got some things in it you can appreciate, but overall it's not a great movie, in this thing there are so many things to appreciate about it. I love De uh, Dennis Villanueva, and I know that somebody already gave me grief on how I pronounce his last name, I apologize, but I love Dean Villanueva and how he directs movies. Arrival is one of my favorite movies. I think Blade Runner 2049 is solid for the most part, even I know I have some issues with that movie. I think Sicario is a really well-directed movie, just he is a phenomenal director, and I was really happy that he was taking on this Dune movie because, honestly, he felt like the perfect director for this. There are so many great things about this movie. The cinematography, the acting, the story, I love the themes of this movie. My goodness, this movie has some of the strongest themes that I've seen. But just overall, this movie is probably one of the best movies that you will see this year, just simply because it delivers on everything you want. Action, themes, drama, great acting, character arcs, just everything about this movie is great. And I cannot simply say enough, if you got to see this movie in IMAX, then you did experience it for everything it was made up to be, because honestly, the IMAX experience of this thing is just mind-blowing. If you didn't see it in IMAX, Turn off all of the lights in your house, turn on your TV, go to a quiet room, get those surround sound speakers, or just turn your TV all the way up and experience Dune kind of like how everybody else did in theaters because you will get the true experience of Arrakis and this movie will really move you like it did most other people in theaters. Definitely check out Dune. I love Paul in this movie. I think that Oscar Isaac gives a career best performance in this thing and I know that's probably a controversial thing to say, but I think he does. The Baron is really cool in this movie. I think that Skarsgård does a great job adapting the character and floating and loop and looking super hot as the character um i also think that they do a great job with other actors like batista and uh momoa and giving them characters that actually felt like they had weight to them and stuff just overall i think that they did a great job adapting dune i think it's one of the most epic movies you'll see this year like i saw and i think it's just a really satisfying movie i do think that the story kind of ends in a weird place for the most part which i do understand it's a part one adaptation but eh, there is kind of that thing where it's like it does end a little weird and I also had a debate with Charles and Fahrenheit where I said it felt like a certain character in the movie loses agency but I'm gonna go plug that podcast basically for the ones that I'm kind of reiterating here that I've already done a podcast just go back and listen to the podcast on those for full thoughts because I'm trying to bring everything together here basically so my favorite movie of 2021 the number one movie the green knight 
I mean, it was no shock to a lot of people. When I talked about this movie with Dalton on the podcast, I said it really feels like it's going to be hard to beat this movie out, just simply because this is a David Lowry movie, and David Lowry is certainly a director that is not for everybody, I will say, but when he makes movies, he makes thematic powerhouses. And The Green Knight is nothing short of a thematic powerhouse. We watch young Gawain try to figure out what he can do to become the great noble knight that he wants to be, but then we watch him simply fail the five virtues of a knight. And I gotta say, Dev Patel in this, I, I think if I had my choice, I would give him the Oscar this year, but I know the Academy is not going to even give this movie the light of day, but Dev Patel probably gave my favorite performance this year out of any other actor this year, just simply because, man, he owns it in this role. He owns it as young Gawain. And I just gotta say, this movie is very slow and boring to most people. I understand that, but overall, I gotta say, I was satisfied with how the story moves. If you've listened to that podcast with me and Dalton, then you know all of my thoughts on it already. I dissected all the themes with him and stuff, but guys, you should have known going in, this movie was going to be my favorite just simply because I was blown away by it. I saw it in theaters. I sat there when the movie credits rolled. I was just so mesmerized by the whole thing of it. It's one of the prettiest movies that's come out this year. It's one of the best thematic movies. It's got some of the best performances. And just overall, it is a really satisfying movie once you understand what it's all building towards towards the ending and all of the thematic elements that are around it. The Green Knight is simply one of the best movies that I've seen from A24 in quite some time, and it really makes me appreciate this company. Usually every year they're competing for my favorite movie of the year. I mean, in 2019 they made The Lighthouse, which was my favorite movie of the year at the time. Then I grew to like Uncut Gems a lot more. But still, they compete with themselves so much to where I just love this company and all of the movies that they make. But yeah, guys, that's the top 10 best movies that I saw in 2021. I'll go over the list again. 10 was No Time to Die. 9 was Spider-Man No Way Home. 8 was The Suicide Squad. 7 was The Last Duel. 6 was The French Dispatch. 5 was Licorice Pizza. 4 was Nightmare Alley. 3 was Nobody. 2 was Dune. And 1 was The Green Knight. That's my top 10 best of the year. Thank you guys for listening. We'll now go into the top 10 worst of 2021. Yeah, I'm drinking something strong for this one because we're talking about bad movies now. Okay, so like I said, 2021 had a lot of great movies in it. But there's also a lot of garbage that came out this year. A lot of garbage that should have just came out in 2020, if I'm being honest, because it kind of fit with that year a lot more. Um, making this list was probably a little bit harder than I anticipated because I really had to think what was so bad to where I could put it in a top 10 list. What movie did I hate so much watching that I either wanted to shut it off while streaming it or wanted to walk out while, was in, while I was in movie theaters? What movies did I stick out watching on streaming services that I wanted to die watching? What movies were so bad I can't get them out of my mind just simply because of how bad they were? Well, after a lot of thinking, after going over all my options, I think I put together a list that kind of accompanies that mindset that I had making it. So first off, I want to say the honorable mentions that I'm going to mention are movies that got a 4 out of 10 or a 3 out of 10. Everything else on this list either got a very light 3 or a 2 or 1 out of 10. You obviously will know what got a 1 out of 10 when we get to the top. It's like the best of the year list. As it progresses up, it gets to 10 out of 10. The Green Knight is a 10 out of 10. The Dune is a 9 out of 10. Nobody was a... I think I had it at a 9, but it might be an 8. And then everything else below it obviously was an 8 out of 10, like I said. But for the most part, like, with this, you'll understand what's a 1 out of 10 as I go along. But for the most part, 
we're gonna go over this list and wow that drink was stronger than i thought but anyways here are the honorable mentions here are the four slash three out of ten movies that weren't bad enough to make the top 10 but are still bad enough to be memorable enough to make an honorable mention <sighs> coming to america 2 mortal Kombat, those who wish me dead army of the dead woman in the window zola black widow the conjuring three Jungle Cruise, Reminiscing, Malignant, Ghostbusters Afterlife, The Kingsman, The Marksman, <laughs> Fast Nine, The Forever Purge, Cry Macho, Cruella, and Antlers. So a lot of you are probably screaming your heads off because there's some I listed. You're like, what? That wasn't that bad. Or what? That should be in the top 10. Well, let's just go over what I have in the top 10, shall we? Let's start with number 10. Number 10 is Cherry. The Russo brothers are hacks, and I don't want to hear anybody defend them anymore. They're literally Marvel machine heads that did whatever the company wanted them to, and when they try to make their own original stuff, you clearly see their flaws a lot more. I mean, what was Tom Holland doing in this movie? What were the Russos doing making this? I mean, this was a bad movie. I mean, it's kind of like this character progression piece of watching Tom Holland just become the most horrible thing on the planet. Like, he tries to, like, show off his acting chops. We watch him, like, start off as, like, a hustler and then go to the army at one point and then come back and start selling drugs and then his life falls apart and he goes to prison. And then at the ending, it's supposed to be, like, this emotionally traumatic thing. It's just, this is a really weird movie in a sense of it's written so kind of badly to where you don't get the effect the roosters were trying to do also tom holland's acting like i said is trying to be like emotional in its acting range but it's actually really bad in a lot of areas it's really bad and most of the supporting cast in this is also really bad i don't know what this movie's supposed to be about and i think that's the most frustrating part and i also think that's another thing that i don't like about it is that the russos clearly kind of show that without marvel's guiding hand they really don't know where they're going with their movies i feel like even though as much as i hate on marvel for having a formula sometimes it does benefit telling a director like hey your narrative would do better if it went this way and i think that's why it benefited in movies like winter soldier and infinity war and endgame is that it felt like there was a guiding hand for them a little bit with this i, I get it's like their own original thing man but like what was this like seriously what was this i don't know what i was watching cherry's not a very good movie on to number nine hey guess what tom holland's in this movie too chaos walking what was this so daisy ridley and tom holland are in a movie where they communicate by thoughts and everybody can hear them and mads mickelson is the villain in this and the whole movie is just tom holland making really bad jokes and Daisy Ridley like acknowledging he's making bad jokes and some of the worst dialogue I think I've heard out of many people this year like there was some truly horrendous dialogue that and the story is kind of this non-existent mess we don't really know character motivations we don't really understand why the characters are doing what they do in this movie and just I don't know this movie felt like it should have been baked in the oven a lot more or just put on a streaming service because this sucked this was bad. I mean, this was one of the worst things that I've seen this year. Like, what was this? D don't make any more of these, Hollywood. Number eight is the new M. Night Shyamalan movie, Old. Look, 
M. Night Shyamalan's just overrated to me by now. I hate to say it. Like, the guy has made, what, three good movies in his career, and now we're just going to praise him? Like, oh, yeah, he was always a great director? No. No, this movie is the most slow and boring thing I have ever watched. Characters just do things for the sake of getting the plot moving. The acting in this is terrible. I don't know if I could say the horror's any good because I actually laughed more in it that was than I was scared. The theme of it is just the most questionable thing that I think I've seen. The twist of it is one of the dumbest things I think I've seen this year. I don't, I don't know. Why does M. Night Shyamalan also feel the urge to need to put himself as a cameo character in his own movies? Like, does anybody else find that a little bit weird? it's just weird to me I don't know but this is just such a strange and bizarre movie because it felt like it should have gone through multiple revisions and maybe it should have had a better cast behind it and maybe I don't know it shouldn't have been made at all it just is not a very good movie I would not recommend people check it out it's it's not a very good movie from M. Night Shyamalan I know he has a new one coming out with Batista but I got no faith hey guys guess what number seven evil dies tonight yes number seven is halloween kills one of the worst horror movies i've seen this year and a really badly written movie if you go back and listen to that original podcast i did with brian you can tell that both of us were not really sure on our thoughts on it after we recorded it and it's probably on me i should have definitely waited like a day or two to solidify my opinions on it because we recorded it right after we saw the movie and i was just kind of so baffled by the whole thing that i begrudgingly gave it a 5 out of 10 and brian gave it a 7 out of 10 because now in retrospect we both come down on the movie a lot like if you go to our letterbox now and see what we have given the movies it's completely different from that original podcast not that i'm saying you shouldn't go listen to that original but i'm just gonna say the complaints we both had are 10 times fold in that original review the compliments that i gave it in the original do not apply at all anymore because some of the compliments I realized in retrospect I gave it are actually not good. But basically all I'll say is this movie is not well written in the slightest. They brought back characters from the original nobody remembers and they simply were just there to die off. They also have some characters in this movie that do really dumb stuff. Tommy Doyle and the mob mentality thing is just really dumb. There's a really controversial scene where a mental patient jumps out a window and it's really offensive and not well done. Michael Myers is a complete dumbass in this movie sometimes. Characters in this just simply do dumb things to move the plot forward. I mean, there's just so many things about this movie that don't work. It's not well written and it sets up a climax that's just... Who cares? Like, the cliffhanger of this movie just had me going... Okay, I don't even know if I'll see the third one now at this point. This one was so bad, but just not a great movie. Definitely would not recommend checking it out unless you're a big Halloween fan. And I'd say if you want to hear somebody's true thoughts on the movie, maybe go talk to Brian about it because Brian has a deeper love for this franchise than I ever could. I kind of respect it in a way that he does because I don't know how you can. Like, John Carpenter really proved that the original is such a lightning in a bottle, you can't do a sequel to it. And I'm somebody that likes the 2017 one and thinks it's a pretty okay sequel. But let's move on, shall we? So number six is The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. The first Hitman's Bodyguard is one of the most 
unfunny movies I think I have ever watched, and that's really sad considering it has two of the funniest movie actors in it. Samuel L. Jackson and Ryan Reynolds should not be unfunny in a movie they are both in, but somehow they were in that original movie. So they decided to make a sequel because a bunch of people saw that original one and gave their money to it before they realized, oh no, this movie really sucks. And the sequel is just... It's awful. It's it's literally one of the most unfunny movies I've seen this year. It's also so choppily shot and edited, and every frame of this movie is just ugly as hell to look at. I mean, the actors that are in this movie look bored and are phoning it in. Salma Hayek might be the only one who's actually giving a good performance in this entire thing. I mean, sure, you could argue Ryan Reynolds is trying, but Samuel L. Jackson clearly isn't. I would say Antonio Banderas clearly isn't either, even though he gets really hammy sometimes in his performance. And, like, even Morgan Friedman just says some lines, gets a paycheck, and bows out. And I can't blame him, because this movie sucks. It's not well-written, it's not funny, it's got terrible action. Just don't watch it. If you hated the original, please don't watch this. It's so bad. Number five is a very small movie that I don't think a lot of people saw called The Unholy. It had Jeffrey Dean Morgan in it, and it was about like this demon version of Mother Mary that was being investigated by this town, like this town was secretly praising, but also possessed this girl that could perform miracles in it. From what I remember, Brian sent me a trailer for it, and I was like, yeah, let's go see it. And then we both came out going, oh boy, we got our bad horror movie this year. Because yeah, it's bad. It's everything that you'd expect in a modern day horror movie. It looks ugly, it has nothing but predictable jump scares, characters are very one-mote and dimensional, bad dialogue, really bad climax that sets up a sequel nobody wants to see, just really bad overall. All I can say is like the reason it's so bad is because the plot is virtually non-existent in it, things just kind of happen, and that's going to be a running theme going forward with this. Number four is Willy's Wonderland that some people somewhat liked and I don't get. Uh, this is the closest thing you guys are going to get to a FNAF movie, I feel like. Nicolas Cage, what did you make here? Now, I get the guy will make literally anything, but why are you in this? And why does his character drink so much soda that's clearly just beer in a can that's labeled soda? Because you can tell the man just wanted to get sloshed and beat up animatronics. Because this movie is just so weirdly paced, so badly written so badly edited and so badly acted outside of i guess i would say nicholas cage is doing himself in this to where i just went this sucks this actually makes me not want a fnaf movie in the future because one fnaf has become one of the most annoying franchises on the planet and secondly if this is what we would get in like the sense of there being a five nights at freddy's movie no I don't want it at all. I, I don't want to see that video game adaptation because Willy's Wonderland broke me. Nicolas Cage beats up robots for an hour and 30 minutes. Characters die off and you don't learn anything about him. It's just, it's really bad. Please don't see this movie. It's really bad. And I, I don't know, buy the Nicolas Cage soda beer he was drinking. That's all I'll say. Number three is Tom and Jerry. You know how like AI is making movies now? Yeah, this feels like an AI made this movie. Tom and Jerry was just a fun Saturday morning cartoon of a cat and mouse trying to beat each other up. This movie, they're, they're singing trendy songs, they're doing funny TikTok-ish things, characters are saying the most unfunny dialogue I've ever seen. It, it doesn't feel like Tom and Jerry at all. It does not even come close to catching the original of that great cartoon. Sure, there are moments in it where Tom and Jerry try to kill each other and obviously beat each other up, but that's far and few between because a lot of the movie is just 
these trendy CGI dogs and cats saying things that are trendy, and then these characters in the live action that are saying trendy thing, and just, uh, this AI think tank of a movie, man. How did it even get approved? I know that it kind of sort of bombed, and that HBO kind of got some shit for it, obviously, but just, you feel like they would have learned their lesson, right? Well, no, because number two on my list is Space Jam 2, which literally is a gigantic advertisement for HBO Max. I kind of ironically love the original Space Jam because I grew up with it so much. This movie, I don't know how this generation's supposed to connect to it. I mean, granted, Michael Jordan wasn't a good actor in the original either much, but here LeBron? Ugh! I don't think he's got a shred of acting talent in his body. I don't think his kid has a shred of acting talent in his body. I don't even think the supporting cast of celebrities in this had a supporting, like, even an ounce of acting in it. Everything about this movie is, like I said, a giant HBO Max uh, advertisement. LeBron goes to the Matrix. LeBron does a Harry Potter thing. Uh, all of these Warner Brothers characters show up at the ending for this big basketball tournament. They plug other NBA players in it and give them these really cringy spinoffs to, like, what their names and their nicknames are in the NBA. And just the Looney Tunes do stuff that you wouldn't expect them to do. Like, they're they're singing trendy songs, Porky Pig raps at one point, just, oh, this movie sucks. Don Cheadle is in it, and he's even bad in it. Like, Don Cheadle might be one of the worst additions of this movie, and I hate to say it because I love Don Cheadle. Just, this movie is one giant advertisement, and I get that the original is too, but the original was not as soulless as this is. This is just buy an HBO Max subscription. That's literally what it is. Fuck you, LeBron. Why did you make this? You should have just left the original for what it was. The number one worst movie that I saw this year was a movie called Separation, which has a funny story behind it. So I remember Brian and I were very bored just on the 1st of May, and we said, is there any movies out we can go see? And Brian said, oh, there's a horror movie called Separation. We both went in and saw it, and I think we were maybe like 40 minutes in. Brian wanted my car keys and wanted to go out and wait in my car for the movie to end. And I was literally in the theater for another 40 minutes watching this movie wrap up. No, it was longer than that. It was 50 minutes while Brian sat in my car and waited on me. That's how bad this movie was. It got Brian to walk out at the 40 minute mark and... I was stuck in there watching it because I was just so mesmerized by how bad this was. So the whole movie is about a couple that's getting divorced and the mom wants full custody of the daughter, but then she gets hit by a car and like a series of events play out to where it's like this really trippy thematic thing they were going for that isn't at all. It's bad acting, bad cinematography, bad editing, like just bad everything. And then the twist is that the crazy like nanny lady ended up killing the mom and she wanted the dad all for herself and it, it just it doesn't work narratively this whole movie sucked it was literally one of the worst movies i had ever seen in my lifetime because it's so boringly paced it's so bad like there's just random moments in it where ghosts show up and they're never acknowledged after that literally random ghosts show up in the house like they got a contortionist to do like this clown thing at one point in the movie and it does nothing it represents nothing it's just there 
And I was like, why did we need this scene? There's another moment in it where another ghost demon thing shows up and it's never brought up again. And there's just so many things about this movie that don't work. The ending is this weird like half cop out thing. Just so many things about this did not work. And I'm so mad that I paid money to see it. And I'm so mad that I didn't get up when Brian left to not finish this movie. I sat there and finished it. If I could go back in time, I would either assassinate myself or slap myself in the face and say, get out of the chair, stupid. You don't need to see this. Brian was right leaving. Bad movie. If you ever see it in your life, make sure it's for free. Don't pay an ounce to see this movie. That's all I'll say. But that's the top 10 worst of the year, obviously. I'll go over the list. 10 is Cherry. 9 is Chaos Walking. 8 is Old. 7 is Halloween Kills. 6 is The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. 5 is Unholy. 4 is Willie's Wonderland. 3 is Tom and Jerry. 2 is Space Jam 2 A New Legacy. And 1 is Separation. Thank you guys for listening to the top 10 worst movies that I saw in 2021. We shall now move into my final thoughts going into 2022. Well, another year, another list of movies. So all I gotta say, guys, going forward is that my list here is likely going to be my solidified list for the end of the year. But one thing that I always tell people, and I said it at the end of my podcast last year and even in 2019, be sure to check out my Letterboxd. It's Bacon Pants 13 I mean, there's some people out here that listen that know my Letterboxd because I plug it so much. Because when I put out the actual lists on Letterboxd that have these movies that I listed do notice that they can change and flip because there are still some movies that I haven't seen. Like I haven't seen Joel Cohen's new movie that's come out yet, that tragedy of Macbeth. And I want to see it because I feel like that would easily make my top 10 best of the year list. There's some other indie films that haven't come out yet that will have to come out to VOD sometime in January. I would say by February, when you look on Letterboxd on my top 10 best and worst movies of the year list, that will be my solidified opinion for the best movies and worst movies I saw in the year because there are still so many others that I haven't seen yet. But I know why uh, what a lot of people are saying. They are like, well, why not just wait then to do this list later? Because when I do this, I want it to truly be all of the movies that I saw in 2021. I don't want it to be like, oh yeah, I saw this in January and it doesn't count. Like These are all the movies that I saw in 2021 that I could remember or at least that, you know, were good enough to make a list. And it also, you know, does feel like a cop out to be like, oh, here's my 2021 list for the end of 2021, even though it could come out in 2022. So if that kind of makes sense to you guys a little bit, it just makes more sense to do a list now when like I could obviously chime in on this trend of like, oh, here is all of the movies I saw in 2021 and here's how I'd rank them out of 10. So I hope that makes more sense for the people listening. Now, another thing that I want to say going forward with this podcast is that 2022 has a lot of great movies coming out next year, obviously. There's a lot of people that are already asking me to do some movies with them in 2022 that are coming out. But I want to say next year feels like the end of the road for this podcast. Now, don't freak out. I don't want everybody to be like, why are you ending the podcast? I love coming on this thing. I love talking about movies and stuff. Well, I just want to say... There are times in life where something you love becomes something that you can balance. Then there are times where it becomes kind of hazardous and gets in the way of other things that are important, and you kind of have to let that thing go. I will be a senior by fall of 2022 in college, and that likely means I'll be finding a professional job, 
That means I'm going to have a lot more on my plate. That just means that the future is getting bigger for me. And the things that I used to do are going to get a lot smaller. Like, yeah, I still make a lot of free time to hang out with people in the real world, see movies and stuff like that. Like, I don't think that's ever going to stop. But like something like a hobby, like doing a podcast might get increasingly harder to do. My schedule might get harder to film with people. It might be a little bit harder for me to want to talk about movies in a podcast form when I could simply type it on Letterboxd and let people read it instead of me obviously audibly saying it to you guys. I don't know. I've done a lot of thinking on this. I've talked about it with Brian a little bit. I think next year might be the last year for this podcast, but I don't know. If I have a really good year next year and I feel like I can balance it going forward, then obviously it won't be the end. But I feel like right now I can say that the podcast next year might be the last podcast year. It might. I don't know. And, hey, I had a good four-year stint, if that's the case. But as of right now, I don't know about this podcast going forward. I would say I'm very happy and thankful to everybody that came on the podcast this year. Like, thank you to everyone that comes on and does this with me. Like, I thought for the longest time I was going to have to do this solo after Brian semi-retired. But I'm really glad that people want to talk about movies with me. They want to discuss their ideas on film. They just have an appreciation for film like I do. And I can't thank my audience enough for being really supportive and great when I put out these dumb podcasts because you guys are the heart and soul that makes me want to make these things for you guys. But for the most part, it's what I wanted to kind of address at the ending. Going into 2022, I think it's going to be an even better year for movies. I think we're going to have a great year because maybe coronavirus will be out the window. I mean, I obviously it's still around right now and, you know, we thought the same thing in 2020, but I'm hoping that it'll be out the window by 2022. Things will be back to normal and all these big movies will finally not or will get to come out and not get delayed. So thank you guys so much for listening to this edition of Hayden's Entertainment Hour. I'll see you in 2022, and who knows what movie we'll start with.